Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. As you know, for the past year and a half or so, I've been mainly focused on hosting live salons. In fact, recordings of over 70 of these conversations are now available on my Patreon site. Whenever we have an expert guest join us, I podcast that evening's salon as well. However, this past Monday's salon, while we had no experts about psychedelics to join us, well, the conversation was excellent and very informative. Since a significant amount of current information about psychedelics can only be found in the so-called underground, well, us old white men, so-called experts, giving talks from a stage are, well, we're no longer the best resource to learn about the leading edge in medicine use. Fortunately, there were some younger and more involved people on hand to bring me up to date on some of the latest trends in the psychedelic community. Hopefully, you will also be a little more enlightened about these issues after listening to our conversation. A lot of the usual suspects are here. <laughs> you picked a great topic tonight, so we'll see how many show up. I was uh, actually pretty surprised by that, that uh, story, to tell you the truth. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm really kind of old-fashioned because, uh, now, I, you know, I, I have Microsoft microdosed uh, LST, LST, LSD, and, and not DMT, LSD and, and mushrooms, or, or psilocybin, I should say. <clears throat> but uh, I have DMT in a whole different category, and, and maybe I'm just kind of old-fashioned, but to me, that's something that, that uh, well, of course, you know, I've never microdosed it, so what am I talking about? I, I don't know. I, have any of you guys ever tried microdosing it? Oh, yeah. I have a lot to say about tonight's topic, actually, but I'll wait till more people get here. Okay, <laughs> good, good. I mean, uh, if, I by, if by microdosing, you mean taking small doses because I don't have enough courage for a big dose, then sure, I've done that. Yeah, I'll call it microdosing and not being a chicken shit. But th- this article actually was about them microdosing, you know, at lunch breaks and stuff like that. And you know, uh, you know, I'll have to try it, I guess, to see what microdosing DMT does for you. But uh, to me, after DMT, uh, not not ayahuasca version, but just smoke DMT, you know, you're gone for three to five minutes or something like that. But I need a bunch of time after that to really kind of take it all in, you know, an hour or so. And the way, <clears throat> the way we used to do it, there was, uh, for example, one time, there were about six or seven of us, and uh, we, we were at this this house having a party, and and so we all went in into the master bedroom, and one guy laid on the bed, and I gave him some DMT, and he took three hits or so, three big hits, and laid back, and the rest of us sat at the foot of the bed on the floor, and then when he came out of it. Nobody said, nobody was allowed to say, or loud. <laughs> we all agreed. Nobody would say anything until he talked first. And then we let him talk. And then we had a little discussion. Then the next guy, he'd scoot over in the bed because he was still kind of in his, uh, you know, in the, in the state. And then he'd slide over. The next guy would sit there and, and, and do it. And the same procedure. And then, then he'd go off the bed to the end, the, the first guy, and then they'd all move over. And so we just do it in a circle like that. And uh, I, I had had one really profound, very uh, profound experience that way. But that's the way that that we used to do it. And the only other way I've done DMT is with uh, in ayahuasca, you know. And uh, that's certainly not a uh, not a microdose, and not something you do in your lunch hour. So uh, <clears throat> I, I perhaps don't have enough uh, background or information to really judge uh, vaping DMT and and what it's like. Uh, But I I just, I don't know, I just can't imagine a light dose of DMT. Well, you know, I'll I'll say from from a lot of experience um, that vape DMT and and smoked or, or, um, you know, vaporized crystalline DMT are orders of magnitude difference in Mm. intensity and that the the uh you have less control uh and greater intensity 
of getting into the space with smoked or vaporized um, uh, DMT. Uh, whereas if you're using a vape cartridge where it's already been put into a medium, um, you have an ability to kind of gradually get into the space and an ability to control your own intensity, which means that sometimes if you're intending to blast off, like you don't, you know, you can't actually take enough to really get there and you might only get into the waiting room or you might only get into a, um, you know, a liminal space, but you know, there, there are other times that, um, you know, you really can, um, you know, achieve a breakthrough and, and I've had both. And then I've also had experiences both with, um, you know, smoking, although less so with smoking and with vaping DMT that, you know, sometimes DMT lets you in and sometimes it doesn't. And it, <laughs> it kind of is up to the molecule and your own relationship with the molecule and your own preparation as to whether you're going to get into that space. But, but with regard to the article that you shared with us, you know, I think you have to throw out all of that journalist bullshit about lunchtime and, you know, doing it on a break and all of that kind of consumer society bullshit that they use to sell the article and think about it more in terms of, you know, there is a efficient mechanism for a short acting dissociative psychedelic experience with an element of profound content that is accessible using the DMT pen format and that you can develop a more frequent ritual with, um, you know, through, through that mechanism. And when I was returning to psychedelics in midlife because I was really active in my teens and early 20s and I took a long like 15 or something year break and then I came back in my late 30s and I I spent the first year just kind of reading and listening and you know getting acclimated and then when when, when psychedelic materia finally found me it was DMT and you know that that first year or so um you know i had a regular practice it was about you know twice maybe three times a month um you know i would make the the container uh usually on a saturday night um you know usually late in the evening before i would go off into into sleep and you know i would just kind of create this spiritual space and and use the medicine and i think that the vaped format is really good for that. I mean, last week we were talking about the the idea of the one-of-a-kind do-it-yourself psychedelic church. And, um, you know, this particular medicine and this particular delivery vehicle, um, I think, is a really great tool mm-hmm. for doing that. And then the, the, the last thing I'll kind of say about the vape DMT experience um, and let make room for other people to talk is that, you know, the, the, the variability that it perfor- affords you um, is really quite beautiful. You know, you can, A, you know, kind of control how far out you want to get into the space, but also, unlike that crazy, you know, smack you in the face with a ectoplasm cream pie that the smoke DMT represents, um, you know, you can get there more gradually and you're not coming out of it with like a what the fuck and like holding on to the content as much as possible. You kind of drift back from it and can spend more time returning to default. So, you know, rather than um, and what I would recommend for people is, you know, rather than like snapping awake and going, holy shit, I saw elves or whatever it was you see, kind of stick with it. And just like when you're coming out of a dream and doing dream work, you know, you can kind of navigate interesting spaces in your mind. And I was able to encounter, um, you know, like earlier builds of my psychological perceptions coming back from DMT. Like I was able to kind of perceive the world from the perspective of, you know, being seven, you know, I was able to, you know, work with different biographical connections and and stuff of that nature. So that's an interesting thing about it. And then finally, um, this is point B of the, points a and b of the finally i set up earlier for being long-winded uh finally i wish i wish ian was here to hear all this finally (laughs) well he can pretend to listen on the recording uh finally the um the microdose experience is quite wonderful like you know you you can you can take a little bit and you know experience just enough of um 
you know, this kind of additional shine, you know, to reality that that's just remarkable, either in a natural context or in a music context or just in a, you know, I'm having body pain or body issues. And this kind of helps, you know, reset. And I know people that do use it for, um, you know, for body and, and neurological stuff. So I think it's a marvelous medicine in this format. And I see Chris just unmuted. So I'd be curious what you had to say, Chris, because I know you have experience here. Uh, I was just going to kind of reiterate your, um, your, you're talking about like that kind of the liminal space at the end of the, the experience and like, and how valuable that is. Because I think many of my most valuable insights have come from that sort of space. And it's, people always ask me like, oh, how long does it last? Like, well, like if you really want to snap out of it, like, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. But like, if you really, if you don't allow yourself to be drawn out of the experience, you can draw it on for a lot longer. And those vape pens really help to be able to do that. It's a lot, it like, it kind of instantly breaks my like mindset. If I have to like clean out the pipe and add some more to it and stuff, it kind of like, you know, having to do the finger stuff, like brings you back into the physical world where it's just kind of like rolling over and going like, you know, like that kind of, that, that doesn't really break that. So you can kind of like keep it going a little bit longer with that too. But I, I, I totally agree. That's the most inform one of the most informative parts of the, the DMT experience for me. And that definitely held true with 5-MeO DMT too. Hmm. Um, that, that same liminal space coming back is, is extremely, extremely valuable. And if you just kind of let it be, it, it, it'll stick around for you know another half hour or something. Yeah, I always refer to this as kind of door to door in an hour. Um, I mean, I hate the kind of nomenclature of it, but I, I, yeah, we're saying the same thing. Andrew, you unmuted. Go ahead. I was going to say that Lorenzo's description of the set and setting that he and his companions were using DMT and seems, you know, very tuned to uh, optimize, uh, you know, optimize for breakthrough experience, um, for a high dose experience, but to sort of cast in alternate image with an alternate uh, intention you have a thousand people at a festival and they're all crammed into you know a giant pack and you have a small crew and they're all together in a line and the pen gets passed from one person to the next and when you're taking the pen the people on either side of you are supporting your shoulders in the pack and you just go down the line and it's not something I've ever myself experienced but you know, there's just, there's all kinds of different uh, ways that the form factor of the vape pen um, has sort of, you know, uh, it lends itself to less of the fumbling with the, with the torch and, you know, hot glass and simplifies that whole situation in terms of the risk of burning yourself. Well, and you know, you can't really take a rig to a concert, but you know, I've 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 recently had beautiful experiences with a DMT vape pen at, with you know live music. It's uh, it, it, it's it's worth doing. Although apparently, you can get a rig onto an Amtrak train <laughs> if you're in California. You know, ten minutes ago, I was. Just a grumpy old man, read a headline, people are using DMT at work, and I didn't really uh, analyze the article like I should have, like you did, Charles. And uh, now, and, and of course, I am so far out of the loop these days that I've, I've not had access to a DMT vape pen. But I now feel young again, because the first time in many years, not only do I hear of a psychedelic experience that I want to try, but I'm going to try. I'm going to find another damn thing. I mean, you have really lit a fire under me. This, this opens up all kinds of possibilities for learning how to use DMT that we haven't had before. And, you know, DMT is something that most people give up on because it's not that easy to really learn to use and get into. But what you're describing sounds like uh, like uh, carbogen that they used for LSD back in the 50s. Correct. So uh, that that sounds and, and but but uh, on a much better scale. I mean, wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Go ahead, Mike. How how is it? Uh, so I have really weak lungs. I always cough a lot if I try to smoke pot or something. So is it easier on your lungs using a vape pen than doing the Terrence McKenna mm-hmm. three big hits and? Oh, like yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you've still got to work on your inhalation and holding, um, you know, holding it, um, or you've got to be prepared to just like take twenty five tokes, or as I like to put it, you know, you you toke until your motor skills give out, and then you know you're probably in the space. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, do you uh, do you have, do you have experience with this, Charles? Where I feel like um, a lot of the batteries that I've tried using to uh, you know to light the bait pens have been maybe insufficient and i feel like i'm getting a lot of the like propylene glycol or whatever uh like you know vaporized but not actually the dmt and i have to like suck on it really hard and get it to like it almost shuts off and then like stop and like keep sucking it again so it like kind of overheats itself and like there's a really good strong battery is really important for anyone that wants to like experiment with this it, it does kind of seem like it needs to heat up a little bit hotter than like your standard like THC cartridge does. So just try to make sure to get one of the higher ohm batteries for it. Hundred percent. You want a variable voltage battery, and you want to use somewhere not necessarily the hottest setting, but probably like the second hottest setting, depending upon what it is. And most of these things you can get for twenty bucks at any you know any weed shop. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is that not all vape pens are equal you know and there are some that you know you can achieve a visual and meaning filled uh psychedelic experience with you know one or two tokes there are some that you know you're going to be pulling on it 10 times and maybe all you're going to get are you know rainbow bubbles so i mean again they're just not all made equal and i think a lot of that just has to do with the novelty of the of the chemistry and people experimenting with making it and, you know, et cetera. And then there's a guy named Hawkeye Clark in Portland that has um, given interesting lectures on um, the various gradations of um, using DMT from microdosing to, um, to dissociative dosing using vape pens. And he describes that he will get specific formula vape pens um, designed to be microdosed, which he uses to manage um, anxiety prior to public speaking or to manage um, some of his chronic pain that will be different from uh, using the DMT vape uh, to dissociate and have a, um, you know, a commune with the infinite. So that that's another factor in this. And what we're dealing with here is physics. You know, there's an optimal temperature at which the chemicals, again, like if you're assuming that your source material is relatively pure, then there's a temperature that it ideally vaporizes at. And above that, you know, too high, it burns. And so that's going to be harsher on your lungs. And so you really don't want to pinch pennies when it comes to the battery, because you want something that'll operate at a consistent voltage and have good quality components measuring the temperature um, so, yeah, the, the marketplace is entirely awash in garbage batteries. Um, and, you know, to find one that like actually performs like at the level of the chemistry the way you want. It, yeah, you got to you got to invest in something good. Do you have any recommendations? Going back, going back to Lorenzo's statement about availability. I mean, I don't think it's coming to the high desert of Las Cruces very soon. Where where do you this article sounds well, like? Yeah, let, let let me step on you a bit here, Mike, because we really can't talk about that here. So oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but, but offline, I have the same question, and I will I will deal with it offline. But let let me answer the previous question about uh, recommendations. Uh, I bought uh, with a military discount for sixteen dollars a Pax ERA. I think they're normally like twenty dollars, and with the Pax ERA. They have an app that you put on your phone and you actually set the temperature that you want. Uh, and, and I use it for indica if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have the temperature set much lower so it doesn't affect my throat or anything like that. And Mike, I've, I've used that for oh, quite a few years. I'm on my second one now. And uh, it, it uh, really, by adjusting the temperature, you can find a temperature for your cannabis that that will uh, not affect your throat and you'll be able to inhale uh, comfortably. What's that Popeye the Sailor Man thing you just held up, Mike, uh, 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 Chris? Uh, this is a little, uh, it's like shaped like an old school wooden pipe, you know, and the bat, the little buttons right here. 
I got that's for, awesome. Like, yeah, it is. And I got it for like thirty bucks, and it has um, variable voltage, but it's like a way higher maximum voltage than most other batteries I was able to find. Wow! And it has a really cool feature. It's a heat up feature. So you like you push it twice, and it just like slowly, slowly, slowly starts heating up, and then you know you can start puffing on it, and it'll turn red when it gets really hot, and you can push it and keep it going at that temperature. Well, plus it's so cool looking. What's it called? Where, where'd you get it? Yeah, that rules. Put a link in chat, please. Oh, I'll, I mean, I just bought it at a head shop, but it's made by a company called Hush. Hush? It's like the, the little, you know, the thing just screws off right there. And uh, and my favorite part about it is that it's it's a weird, awkward shape, so it doesn't fall out of my pocket. Like, I, I don't lose it. Like, I do all of the other just pen-style vape pens, and it just it goes, it, it just, it's, it's USB rechargeable, everything, the whole thing. I've I love it. They should be paying me for this because this shit's amazing, and I totally recommend it. And, I think and, you just sold for, five of them. Yeah, for the people just listening, uh, it looks like the coolest little pipe. You know, that's why Charles said Popeye thing. Uh, it's a very good. Looks like a little briar pipe. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with that. Plus, all and the, the features. form factors. It's really good. Like that's a really good kind of size for the battery because because girth is the key when you're looking for. Like a battery, like the slim batteries, garbage. Got to go with girth. This is the nerdiest conversation we've had in a while. I'm well, well, <laughs> well done, my friends. <laughs> you got some practical information coming out here. So, how long? How long has has uh, vape pens of DMT been around? Because I've I've kind of read about it offhand, but I'll tell you the truth, I never paid any attention to it. So, it's obviously been here for quite a while. If it's in vaporizers now. I started seeing people post pictures of them on Reddit about a year and a half ago. Um, and it's significantly increased since then. Um, but I think I started maybe, using them in 2018. Yeah, me too. I mean, it was kind of, I feel like it was a market thing because uh, the vape pens came along with cannabis dispensaries. And so once the technology was out there, someone thought, oh, I can take the PG that you usually use like as the base for like a home fillable vape and I, I can dissolve DMT free base in there. And um, so, you know, once the technology was out there, it was easy for that idea to occur to enough people for it to catch on. Well, I feel a little better. It's only 2018 that they first started coming around and they're only really starting a year and a half ago of making big time. I don't feel as far out of it as I was. And, and, and they've gotten, they've gotten better since 2018 as well. I mean, the, the chemistry's gotten better. The, um, you know, the, 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 the circulation has gotten a little bit better. It's, you know, the prices have gotten a little bit better. But like Mike says, it's probably not in the high desert. This sounds more like a West Coast thing. I wonder if it's hit the East Coast yet. Well, I mean, you know, there's high desert and there's high desert. And <laughs> I don't think Mike has found the high desert yet. I'm so pissed at myself for not moving to San Francisco instead of, you know, where I'm at. Just come, and, just come and visit. You, you, where you move, you wound up spending several days with Leonard Picard. Don't give me, yeah. a, don't give us that. We don't, if you, you know, I learned in the Navy, if you want sympathy, you find it in the dictionary right between shit and syphilis. <laughs> and, and, and look, just like deadheads, we are everywhere. And it's just, a, it's just a matter of, you know, just, just snooping around who's, who's around and, you know, your local ish psychedelic society. I mean, you're, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a drive to get to Santa Fe, but dude, there's a, there's some serious psychedelic people in New Mexico. Thanks for the encouragement. And, and well, Mike was really serious when he moved there. So yeah, there's at least one serious person there. I know. <laughs> and, and when you talk about the high desert, you know, the, the high desert in California, is where Myron Stolaroff lived. And yep. that's where many, many of the, much of the work from Peak Hall and Teak Hall took place in the high desert, the high, high desert. Go ahead, Andrew. And this isn't really like an example of you know, the social side of, you know, we are everywhere, but like what, what I, the experience that I had that always illustrates this to me is uh, a few years ago, I was going to move. It was unsure where we were going to move. We might have moved to Seattle. Um, and I was excited about that because Pacific Northwest is mushroom country. And I had just been learning about them. And I was excited about maybe moving to a place where I could go and hunt these things out in the wild and find them and photograph them and all that. Um, but we ended up moving to Cleveland. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, I was disappointed about that you know, particular outcome, but rolled with it. And 
I took a job as a dog walker. No, as a walker, which meant I spent my days walking down, you know, sidewalks and neighborhoods. And I started seeing mushrooms growing on like all the lawns and all the mulch beds and all these high end neighborhoods that had, you know, well watered manicured lawns and had people come in with mulch every spring and introduce, you know, you know, spores from wherever the mulch or the, uh, the sod had been cultivated. And, and I, I had expected to move to this, you know, cold, barren wasteland where I would never, you know, find any mushrooms, but they were all around me. And as I learned, I kind of picked up some names and I started looking some up and, and I discovered that like the, the mushroom that I saw like most often on like any lawn, like there was no way that I could walk, you know, for a half hour without seeing one of these things was the banded model gill. It's the uh, Paniolus cinctillus. And it grows on lawns all over the place. And it's, it's a psilocybin mushroom. It's not, I never, I never took the step of like picking and eating them. It was, it was enough to like see them every day and smile every time I saw them. <laughs> but like, it was just this weird experience that unfolded over a couple of years where I realized that I thought I had moved to somewhere that was mushroom poor, but these things were just all around me. And it, all it took was me changing the way that I looked at the world and noticing that they were there. And suddenly I was surrounded by friends. Uh, back back just briefly to the DMT pen uh, conversation. I, I would like to kind of put out there too, that there's a little bit of research and a lot more kind of underground um, discussion about the, the medical utility of DMT pens. It's really interesting in this discussion, um, you know, from, you know, people using it for anxiety to people using it for pain relief for, to people using it to address, um, you know, kind of neurological uh, pain. You know, that, that part I think is really interesting and worth, um, worth investigating because there's, there's really, you know, no, I mean, not to my knowledge, there's, there's really no known downsides to, you know, just trying this medicine. I mean, it's so, fast acting and you know in in the in the microdose uh format or the vaped you know sh- uh, low dose format is really the better way of putting it because it's not really a micro because it's perceptible um but in the in the vape low dose format there is a a physical quality to it and you know even sometimes like if i'm not feeling you know, quite, quite right, you know, in, in my body, I'll use it and do breathing exercises along with it. And it'll be kind of a physical reset. So I think that that's another aspect that, you know, this, this um, well-meaning, but ultimately sensational vice article didn't really get into that, you know, there's a lot of practical applications that people might look into with this as well. How, how, what, what is it like after like, couple of tokes what what kind of a experience what does it feel like is it uh, definitely dmt like or or cannabis like or is it what is it just a, a buzz what is it um well i mean all of that stuff obviously is, is subjective from person to person right. but you know for me and and i you know I, cannabis tells me that i'm a horrible person with bad ideas that everybody hates so i can say for me it's not a cannabis like experience but um but you know i think after you know let's say one or two deep tokes again depending on the pen cuz a lot of this is variable there's a mild light headed um flush that goes from you know the head into the body that will then for me facilitate like a a, you know a better posture an expanded um you know sense of lung and deeper breathing which of course some of that is facilitated by just trying to take in as much into your lungs as possible um but you know that kind of deep breathing and that kind of you know kind of body rush and that body lightness um at least in my experience works. And I find in general psychedelic uh, medicines kind of correct my posture and breathing and bring me back into my organism, um, you know, more, you know, fairly effectively. And then when you go deeper, um, you know, you'll achieve spaces that are more classically psychedelic, um, you know, with, with DMT. So, you know, I went to a couple of, um, Phil Lesh concerts uh, at Terrapin Crossroads a couple weeks ago. And, um, 
you know, at a certain point when they went into the jam, um, you know, decided to go for it on the vape pen. And you kind of know you're there when the tone of the music or the pitch of the music shifts into that kind of warblier kind of thing. And then you can kind of close your eyes and, and get into the kind of bulb of psychedelic space, which is, you know, a remarkable and novel experience as well. So it just kind of varies from, you know, person to person. But that's my personal experience with it. Well, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the, the potential for, uh, I guess you'd call it medical uses for lessening, uh, you know, uh, anxiety, things like that, because I, you know, I know a lot of veterans are taking uh, expeditions down to uh, Peru to do ayahuasca and ayahuasca has been very helpful in, in, you know, deep healing kind of thing, but for, for anxiety and smaller things like that, uh, you know, editing is something I can relate to as an occupation, and that's something you're doing now. So if you were not a heavy dose of, of vape pen DMT, but if you were going to do just, uh, you're just, uh, you couldn't focus, you're disoriented, you want to just get back into focus. And let's say you had two hits, uh, two tokes, how long would it take you before you could get back to actually doing work like editing? Maybe a half hour. Oh, Okay. Perfect. Maybe less, actually. I mean, I haven't actually tried it, but I mean, I find that when when it's activated for me, that my thinking is somewhat disorganized, and um, you know, if I, if I'm just taking a body dose, um, you know, I'm usually doing it like if I'm taking a walk. So so for me, it would be. I would go out, I would take a, you know, a brief walk. Um, I would take a low body dose and kind of complete my walk. And by the time I'm back, I would be, um, you know, refreshed and focused, but, you know, perhaps, you know, 30 minutes or less would be my, my guess on that, but I haven't tried it in the way that you're describing. Yeah, that's, that sounds really perfect. You know, I, I, I use cannabis every day and, and, uh, Sometimes, you know, if, if I'm not careful and I, and I don't have uh, the right blends or whatever, I get kind of lethargic and, and you have to have the right cannabis to stay on, on edge. And this sounds like something that uh, <laughs> I, 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 I only use meth a few times, but I really love meth, I'll have to tell you. <laughs> and I, I have thought about that quite a few times, but I know, know enough that, uh, you know, there's no way I'll ever try it again. But it, I, I like to the little, you know, I, Herbamonte tea works for me, actually, too, to give me a little pep because uh, I don't like the heavy caffeine in the afternoon. So uh, this sounds like something very fascinating for me that uh, I'm definitely going to seek out. And, and, and just for anybody listening to this afterwards, there's no equivalency whatsoever between the DMT vape pen and meth. <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that. I know you didn't. I just have to throw the disclaimer in because I'm a pedant. <laughs> You'd also make a good lawyer. I hate to insult you like that. <laughs> I, if people have thrown that epithet at me before, um, Chris, I know that you have experience with the medicine and Lorenzo had asked about, uh, I don't know if you heard the question, but about, you know, if you had taken, you know, say one or two doses uh, or one or two, you know, tokes off of a DMT pen while doing some kind of detail oriented desk work, like editing, how long it would take you to, um, you know, return to baseline. And alternatively, I guess the corollary of that question was if you could describe what it felt like just taking kind of one or two doses from your, one or two tokes from your experience. Um, so <laughs> the other day, actually, I was, I was driving down the highway and I accidentally hit the wrong cartridge. Uh, only, only once, you know, uh, it, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't impede my anything like I, I tasted it before I took really like a huge hit in you know so I was like oh okay and I was like I was like super on the ball to like pull over if I needed to I like got in like everything was fine but it was it was it was great it was totally fine there was I didn't I didn't feel unsafe even for a split second uh, and it was just a little bright little bright little shimmer the little white lines were a little bit you know a little bit shinier and I and afterwards I was like wow that felt I felt great. Uh, I probably won't do that again. That felt... <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't be doing that again just because, you know, you know, I think I got like a once in a lifetime free pass on that, you know, so I was just, just going to take that and run with it. Uh, but as far as like detail oriented, like typing and stuff goes, I don't, I, I think I probably would have just spaced out for a good like five minutes before I wanted to like make my fingers do keyboard stuff. Um, but you know, I, I don't, it wouldn't have been impossible. I think it would probably would have been unpleasant. 
you know, it was un, unfun to just sit and do keyboard stuff. And not that it would be, you know, I would be incapable of doing so. But I mean, who knows? It might be a, it might, it might spice up life in that sort of doldrum scenario. I'm not entirely sure. You know, I, I quit years ago. I quit going out on Saturday nights because I was, I was worried about all the drunk drivers. Now, now I'm worried about afternoons in Oregon about the DMT driver. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, that's that's real. I'm, pro- I guarantee you, I'm not the only person who's done that. That's for sure. Boy, there's there's a big fire going up in the Oregon mountains right now, the biggest one in the country. Yeah, still so, still not even close to even. I I don't think it's even ten percent contained, is it? No, and it's getting getting bigger every day. Two of my really close friends are within twenty miles of that. And uh, thankfully, they're south where the lines have been held really hard with the help of the river and stuff down there and the massive importance of a lot of that agricultural and residential land. Uh, so it's kind of burning the other way. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's Oregon in July, so, you know, shit's on fire. Yeah, my friends are in Ashland. I've been, you know, corresponding with them. You know, they're at least safe right now. But they had a hard time last year because the smoke gets in that valley and stays, you know, for months. So, uh Fire season this year, you know, the fire season in this country is bad, but, you know, we're hearing about the, the floods in Germany and Denmark and, and the Netherlands, but there's also huge floods in India and Mexico right now as well. I mean, the same as what's in Germany. You know, it's just uh, floods and fires. Uh, <laughs> Armageddon uh, underway here. Well, that cheery note just... Uh, spark the conversation <laughs> well there was a line from the bible that like i always laughed about when i was a kid um you know it's it's a line you know that in the end days in the end times you know there will be wars and rumors of wars and i was i was like there's always wars and rumors of wars like like what the, what what does that mean but like I was surrounded by people who had this outlook of like, is 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 it now? Is it, well, it might be now. It might be tomorrow. That's the point. You live as though like it could be the beginning or the end. You don't know. Like you just you know you live what's in front of you. But yes, wars and rumors of wars, you know, is is a line that I've heard from a lot of like the more Christian people in my scene over the last few years, and I'm like you do have a point like there's a lot more rumors these days than people ever had access to and we don't really seem to have the psychological skills necessary to decode all the rumors that we have access to if we don't like filter our information well yeah and and you talk about wars i i I don't even know how many wars the united states is involved in anymore right now you know are we still in the afghan war or whatever but i can't remember where i read this years ago that the, from the last 6,000 years of human history, uh, as far as uh, anything they would consider large enough a conflict to be a war, there were only like 265 years out of four 6,000. There were not major conflicts of humans somewhere. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just who we are. You know, I, you know, that old cartoon about war is nature's way uh, it isn't really funny because, uh, you know, we just don't seem to be able to get along on, a lot of basic things, you know, not just this country, but humans everywhere. You know, it, uh, I don't get it. I, I just don't really get it. You know, I don't know. On on a more positive note, you know, anyone have an interesting weekend? But I guess to speak really vaguely to Mike's question, um, you know, it's just a very very interesting group of people, and I I can speak unguardedly about McLeod's. Um, blotter museum um you know mark mcleod is a um you know very important kind of you know shadowy person in the history of um of lsd that knows the history of lsd and um you know he has gotten a lot of heat over the years he's gotten a lot of legal um you know inquiry into his work over the years uh he's had his collection of blotter art seized that ultimately returned you know and and lawn and and you know to an extent was you know seen as a resource for law enforcement that he had all of this stuff but when you go there i mean just to see the loving um presentation with which you know all of this stuff is carefully cataloged and um you know, and displayed, you know, in this house is just, you know, amazing. And, um, and, you know, everybody there, um, you know, and everybody, almost everybody involved in the project had, 
you know, the, the Grateful Dead lightning bolt on them in some capacity or other. So, I mean, you know, not only was I among that tribe, but I mean, there's just something kind of built into the spirit of um, LSD and the dead that go side by side. And I mean, of course, a lot of that is Owsley both, you know, bankrolling it mm-hmm. and using it as a distribution center for his, you know, illicit product in the early days. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, that that was a container for this stuff. So that that was pretty interesting to see as well. And, and for those who aren't familiar with Mark McLeod and, and Mark's collection of blotter art, full sheets of blotter art, first of all, there's there's not acid on the blotter. Uh, you know, he's gone through all the legal hassles about that. But the blotter art itself is is just amazing art. Some of these works of art are are very, you know, worth a lot of money now. Is you know, that, that all of the the blotter sheets of blotter were just you know, psychedelic artists were just making gorgeous sheets. And I don't know how much he has. He must have thousands of sheets of it. You know, it's it's an it's the world without a doubt. It's it's by orders of magnitude the largest collection of blotter art. I doubt if anybody else has more than 50 or so, and he's got thousands. It's, he's, got, he's got thousands. And, and yeah, he did He did say uh, in other interviews and also when he was talking to people this weekend um, that, you know, a lot of this stuff was seized and then returned because it was inert. Uh, but he did make a, a crack about, uh, you know, the gel tabs don't get returned because you can't, you can't make those inert. So that, that's interesting to learn. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Mark is, he's, he's just a, a really nice guy. He's really easy to visit with. And, and, and he has done so much for this community over the years, uh, particularly from the legal standpoint, not just as an art collector, but uh, he has stood up to the authorities uh, and spent a lot of money and heartache on his own part to uh, defend our, our uh, stance about the war on drugs. So he's, he's uh, definitely gets a medal of honor from, from me for sure. He really, he really, really does. And, you know, he's multi-talented in that he's a very, very accomplished sculptor. He's a very accomplished visual artist. He taught uh, visual art for many years. Um, just a, just a, a super talented person. And, um, and in terms of the community too, another interesting thing I heard this weekend, um, I was talking to some folks that, you know, I mean, most of the people on this shoot had done some time, you know, for, for manufacturing and, um, and most of them were long past their, you know, debt to society. But one of the things that was brought up in discussion was that there's a element of the cannabis business that if you did time, you kind of get to the front of the line in a, in a lot of cannabis businesses, um, which, you know, somebody cracked, like, that's kind of the least we can do in society. Um, but, you know, a very interesting thing to bear in mind, um, you know, as so many of these things become mainstream is that there is a debt to pay that for to the people that have suffered uh, the loss of their freedom. And, um, you know, seeing things like when Leonard visited the salon a couple of weeks ago and described his consulting work or hearing things like, um, you know, people that, you know, did time for the cultivation of cannabis that are now, you know, at the front of the line in the cannabis business, um, you know, it is nice to see some of that karmic um, balancing occurring. Not that the imbalance should have happened in the first place, but, you know, we can only move forward. And for what it's worth, I just talked to my oldest son today, who's uh, applied for 30 jobs in the last two weeks. And uh, just today was asked to take a drug test, you know. (laughs) So in Florida, they're still making people take drug, drug tests for carpenter work. I saw an article on, um, I think it was ABC News. Um, it was some American outlet, but anyway, it was that um, a th- there was a, a a labor shortage at some Michigan-based, uh, I think it was Michigan-based um, factory, and um, they lifted the cannabis embargo because i guess cannabis has just gone legal you know in, in some recent capacity um so they lifted the cannabis embargo and suddenly were like a flood in uh, in 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 candidates and and you know valuable people so i mean hopefully that is an object lesson to business you know broadly that if it's legal you know and and what people do on their own time is on their own time it's not going to adversely impact your work but it's sad to hear that your son had to deal with that yeah, well, he's he's used to it. You know, he lives in Florida, so he's he's dealt with it for many years. But you know, it's it's uh, 
such a, a strange situation in this country from coast to coast where it's just uh, uneven across the country. You know, there's still people in, in you know, serving 30 year and longer sentences in Texas and other places for, you know, a bag of pot. So, you know, it's just uh, we've got a long ways to go to even that out. And uh, I think what you said, Charles, is exactly right. We've got to we've got to search out and look for the the dispensaries and the the distributors who who have done time, you know, who have people working there that have done time. I was I was thinking we ought to, you know, <laughs> you know, in my fantasy of starting a business, I was thinking I was going to start a dispensary and only hire people who had served time for medical for marijuana uh violations and and uh you know i i think there probably are companies that are uh, hiring uh you know only uh people who have uh, been impacted negatively by it so uh you know it's uh, people are paying attention to it but i think that's a good question to ask uh, if, if anybody in your dispensary uh has done time well that's a good dispensary to stick with yep, a lot of karma to balance yeah yeah I also want to thank Charles for sending me some uh, suggestions on reading material. I've had uh, uh, the wife of uh, Osley, her book sitting on my shelf. I hadn't read it and he prompted me to start reading it. Just a great, you know, if you want to read about the elders and some of the things that went on, a great book. And uh, and I've been motivated to read more about 4ACODMT. So Thanks for the suggestion, Charles. <laughs> Glad to. Yeah, the book is Owsley and Me, My LSD Family by Roni Stanley. And my God, what a delightful human being she is. I've, I've connected with her at a couple of um, of dead shows. Well, dead shows, but, you know, a couple of dead family shows out here, like when uh, Phil's playing at Terrapin. And, um, you know, she was around this weekend. Uh, she's involved in this project, and we spent more time connecting. And she's just a, you know, really... Um, really delightful human who um you know takes the history seriously but like is able to live this you know just this full life like she's just this like you know she's got some kind of a dentistry she's not a dentist but she does some some kind of an orthodontic you know some kind of dental work uh you know in in upstate new york um and is kind of compartmentalized in that community in that way but then comes to all the shows and is like this you know elder in this community and is like just deeply curious and and giving with her time and um you know and really really wise we had some really great conversations about um her perspectives on you know where where the psychedelic world is going um you know she she's just a fascinating person and this book is ribald and witty and full of great you know just kind of firsthand um experience so she's great and um and yeah what a, a prominent um psychedelic uh tv figure um perked up when i was talking to a um a physician about you know asking like is 4aco dmt which is marketed on the street as synthetic um mushrooms is that the same thing that they give people in the in the tests and it's not which you know i i you know was glad to learn definitively um, but this this prominent person like perked up and joined our conversation and enthused about how much they loved that um, that particular medicine and why would anybody do mushrooms when you can do 4ACO DMT because it's cheap it's easy to get the dosing is predictable and you know you can have these you know really powerful experiences and while I don't agree that you know, mushrooms and 4ACO are qualitatively equivalent. Um, it was fun to see this, um, this enthusiasm from somebody that's just so analytical and measured and, and, you know, such a super brain, you know, just kind of be passionate about, you know, well, that's my favorite. You, you know, so I have been reading up on it and uh, what I can read says that it should break down to psilocin and, uh, and have the same effects as mushrooms. And yet, People seem to describe it as having uh, very distinct effects from psilocybin. So what, what's your take on that? Is it? Is I believe it's its own animal. And my personal experience of it is um, it, it, it's, it makes me extremely nonverbal, which those of you that have suffered through sitting through me on the salon know that's quite a feat. Um, <laughs> but it makes me extremely nonverbal. And it produces, um, you know, the, this um, this visual this visual environment with open eyes for ACO DMT trust. Um, this visual environment with open eyes that's kind of very smooth and um, 
um, you know, po- like polished fiberglass with, ex- you know, with, with very, um, very bright highlights and with closed eye visuals um, is, you know, kind of a more muted um, version of the DMT, the, the, the NNDMT space to me. But I've heard from others that are well acquainted with it that it, it can take on characteristics of LSD MDMA and mushrooms and that it's a very um, mutable or fungible medicine space in that it's kind of different for them every time and they can kind of oscillate based on what they want to get out of it, you know, between these different spaces. And um, I have a friend that just recently, um, and and by the way, we're talking at doses of around, you know, 20 to 25 milligrams, um, which is, you know, about what the tablets that you'll find um, will be. Um, I like to work a little bit higher, but I always work a little bit higher just because, you know, the way I metabolize medicine, um, but, but at any rate, um, this person had a really profound aural, um, hallucination, um, with this medicine, um, that was unlike any, anything he's had. And I can, I can account for my personal experience that the, um, the, the, the aural hallucinations, uh, the auditory hallucinations, um, within this space are, are sometimes overpowering in a, in a very mystical way. Does any other, uh, anybody else have experience with this medicine here? It's an interesting medicine. And, and, you know, my understanding is that it's, um, it's not illegal. I want to go so far as to say it's legal. Cause I mean, that's testing the, the definitions of the analogs, but, but my understanding is that it's not scheduled in and of itself, or that's what this enthusiast that I met this weekend was talking about. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to describe how to get it because, you know, if you know, then you know, and if you don't know, then you probably shouldn't. But um, it's, you know, there, there are elements to it that um, this person was suggesting make it less risky. Um, I just think it's an interesting medicine. I use it for very specific, um, you know, mystical intent purposes. Um, you know, it's not my go-to medicine, but it's a real interesting medicine. It, you know, I mean, from your description, it sounds it's it's very very unique. It's it's not like anything. It's got little pieces of a lot of other things, but you can't synergize all that. It sounds like it's a, a unique uh, experience. It is, and and you know the other the other piece here to bring it all full circle with the DMT vapes is. Um, you know, the, the, the DMT vapes twine really well with other medicines. Um, you know, my, my friends and I have used them um, with MDMA and it, it really augments the, um, the auditory appreciation of um, the music that you're listening to and kind of contributes to the body elevation and realignment of MDMA. And then working with a, um, a more classical psychedelic. Um, I mean, there's a lot of literature about this, about, you know, you'll be peaking on, on um, LSD and then, you know, use, um, use, uh, you know, smoke DMT for a supercharge. Um, you know, Terrence talks about that in, in true hallucinations. Um, you know, it, it definitely twines with other medicines as well. Um, you know, including um, in my experience, um, for ACO and, uh, and psilocybin. So not that I, I want to advise anybody who's not an experienced user to polydrug, but if you're going to, if you're going to mix and match, um, the DMT vape pen is a nice, you know, addition. I see Chris laughing. I don't know if you want to make fun of me or add to that. You're welcome <laughs> to do either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just, it, yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's wise to, to not start mixing substances unless you're familiar with both of the substances that you're mixing. Sure. Your 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 uh, advisory, Charles, is very much like Ann Children's advisory. You know whether she's talking about whatever it is, MDMA. She says, "Now you do know it's illegal, and you're not supposed to do it. But when you do it, here's what you want to know." <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> but you're legal the way you did it, so uh, I I think you passed that uh, test very well. <laughs> It's beautiful and, and stuff. Let, and let, let me add, uh, there there is something to be said about about something being quote legal. Now the analog drug law essentially makes everything illegal, but it's not on the schedule until somebody tests it and there's a court case and all like that. So right now it's not on a schedule anywhere. 
which is the same way. There was no analog drug law when I first used uh, MDMA, but it was legal. And, you know, they eventually made it illegal. But the I would never have gotten into this whole shebang had it been illegal in the beginning. I tried MDMA because it was legal. You know, I was a lawyer in Texas. I was a naval officer. I was I was on the straight and narrow. I had short haircut and the whole nine yards, you know. Uh, and then I took MDMA and I, I became what I am now. But I wouldn't have done it if it was illegal. So I think that the fact that there are these these uh, uh, pseudo legal, there's things that, that you know, that, so they'd have to really be after you as a distributor to come after you for this stuff, I think. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, there's something to be said for uh, the fact that there are ways for people to get into this uh, community without uh, a big deal of exposure of the law. Uh, you do have exposure with the chemicals themselves, of course. You know, we talk about that all the time. And, you know, safety is really important from a physical side. But the legal uh, end of it, I think it's really important that uh, if you if you don't have to worry about being uh, having your door knocked in and somebody coming and hauling you off, uh, you can have a lot better experience. <laughs> that's, been, that's what I've learned anyhow. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And, and, and one, one more caveat I'll throw in about the 4ACO is that um, the, the – oh, trust just asked, what's the half-life of 4ACO? I don't know what you mean by half-life. Do you, are you asking about what the duration is of 4ACO? Probably. Uh, well, well I'll, I'll answer the fir- – I'll, I'll speak to the first part is that the, the come-up is um, – the come-up is kind of turbulent. Um, like I, I've, I've experienced, um, just weird body anxiety in the come up, which, which should, could just be the dose that I'm working with. Cause I, I do like to work closer to like the 30 milligram dose with it. Um, but you know, the, the come up is definitely a little bit turbulent for me and I've, I've seen a lot of reports and, and double blind did a really good article. Uh, and in fact, double blind's really good just as a resource anyway, as just kind of FAQs on, on using medicines about it, where they describe people having nausea or, you know, anxiety or, you know, kind of, kind of just uncomfortable body stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really true of this medicine, but, but once you're kind of in the space, the ability to, you know, blast into interesting areas is, is phenomenal. Um, I tend to metabolize it. The peak tends to be, the come up tends to be about 40, 40 to 60 minutes. Um, The peak will be about another 90 for me. And then I feel like I'm back to baseline at around the, you know, the four hour mark, which is kind of a lingering, you know, you're in the, you're in the medicine, but not in the space, if you know what I mean. But my friends that have used it have experienced a longer duration, like closer to like a six hour duration. So it's all very subjective. And, you know, I I don't know if I metabolize stuff more quickly or if my BMI is contributing to, um, you know, to the, to the impact or not, but uh, that that's my experience, but, you know, definitely read the, you know, the online vaults, you know, beforehand or, you know, before you do it. Look before you leap. <laughs> I've, I'm surprised that I haven't really read a lot of adverse um, trip reports about 4ACO. And the ones that I have read um, tend to be dumbasses, you know, like people that just took too much or they mixed it or they had a bad set and setting. But, but it's not, um, you know, like you'll, it, it could just be because it's a more novel substance and there's not as many. Yeah. Um, you know, instances, but by and large, it tends to be, you know, people tend to report positive experiences with it, which is interesting. Yeah, there's three or four uh, trip reports for ACO at, at uh, Earwood, and they're very consistent with what you just said. Well, now there's two things that have my attention tonight. <laughs> I'm starting to feel younger by the minute. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> So uh, does anybody have anything else? We've uh, actually covered some very interesting ground here tonight, uh, at least from my point of view. I've I've learned a lot. So uh, anybody have any final words of wisdom you'd like to add? Go ahead, uh, Chris. I'm just really sad. I I heard Leonard Picard was was on. Is this true? Is this this really true? Did I miss that? I also missed that episode and was disappointed. The playback is very, very good to hear. I refer 
forever and always will be kicking myself in the pants for that. That's yet. Uh, now, Le- Leonard will be back. He 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 uh, he he asked to get on the list, so he knows that that he can come whenever he wants to. So he'll he'll be dropping in from time to time, I'm sure. But if uh, you ever have advance notice of that, please, for the love of God, blast it from the mountaintop so that I can stop well, everything in my life and make sure. Well, as as a result of that, uh, he wound up spending several days up at Mike's, and then uh, he and Charles have gotten together. So. Uh, you just missed missed out. I'm sure he would have come and spent a week with you there, Chris. Yeah, he'll, he'll he'll be around. He's a very he's a very <laughs> soft spoken, um, but very very curious and intellectually agile person that I think is um, to a certain extent making up for lost time and and interacting with the tribe. But what a what a mind and what a wonderful person. And uh, I've been reading his book, kind of you know intimidated by meeting him. I went and, you know it's like I better get this thing under my belt and you know I. Was was intimidated by the book for so long that it just kind of sat on my shelf and then i was surprised to find that you know while it's it it demands that you take your time with it it's actually kind of breezy once you're in it It, it's a it's a remarkable body of prose one one of the one of the finer uh works of literature this century so far i agree i agree i'm excited for that i would do i would do a lot of really ridiculous and crazy things to have a couple conversations with that man well, he'll he'll be back here, so uh, I'm I'm sure. So don't worry about it. And, and as far as his book, you know, it's Thomas Wolfe style. As far as the prose, it's just a it's a poem. It's, it's a very long prose poem. It's the best and at the I've read. and at the same time, it hits that kind of um, information porn uh, realm that you know guys like Neil Stevenson excel at, where you've just got so much disparate information being synthesized into a single narrative you know it's not merely that he has these precise clear and lyrical and emotionally resonant depictions of varied states of consciousness but it's also that he has um these nuanced and um and well-observed descriptions of the workings of various countries various legal systems various social systems and how they mesh and interact with each other and when i had a brief exchange with him over the weekend because frankly i'm still intimidated by him and giving him space and he's somebody that you should be differential to um but you know i i'd commented upon um you know the my how impressed i was with the body of prose and he he said um and, and with the imagery in particular and he said well you know, I was, I was manifesting, you know, the world. And there, there is a real um, element of this book of, um, you know, just the power of the magician making a spell, you know, he was manifesting the world that he was alienated from in this body of work. Um, And at the beginning, there's a preface that says, you know, it should be read as it was written slowly. And um, there's something to that because you are co-creating, the world with him. It, it really is a psychedelic unto itself. And I love the overall theme that the default mind is the gift, but how we train the default mind is the life's work. And there, there's, and no other piece of literature have, that I have been experienced to was there the, the depth and breadth of love and soul that were expressed by some of the humans in that book. I was brought to like weeping tears so many times by the descriptions of the actions of the humans in that book that it just blew my mind open to know that there are people like that, that actually exist, that actually do those things. It was amazing. Like there's, there's nothing, nothing better in the world. And, and I, the, the, one of the end of the last chapters of like the last message he actually gets from him is, yeah, love is all. And like, that's, that's the final, final message that he gets. And like that, just, I, I was in tears so hard at that. It was, man, so much love in that book. It's insane. So, so much of his life has been unjustly um, stripped away that I, I sincerely hope that we're witnessing um, after his period of adjustment, which I believe is going to be significant, um, you know, a very strong late flowering because he has so much, um, so much, so many multitudes within him that I think, um, you know, are, are, have great potential for the world. And I don't want to put too much pressure on him or deify him or put him on a pedestal or any of that stuff. Cause he is, you know, merely another human, but, um, 
but as as you know a human he's really developed himself to you know stand up against adversity and express himself well and in niles i see you've got the chris Bache book which i haven't started yet did you start it lorenzo no not yet not yet uh lsd and the and uh the mind of the universe i think it's called i've got it here lsd and the mind of the universe diamonds from heaven and uh this guy did very high dose um lsd for a period of like 20 some years and went out into just the very very far edges of of mind and consciousness much of which if if you've listened to him talk um in podcasts or on videos was was frankly diabolical and nightmarish um but you know he would you know go out into these spaces um methodically and then document them and and this is the summation of that work and it looks fantastic have you read it niles i'm about three quarters of the way through and uh it's just it's out there yeah there, there there's and there there's some depiction of you know extremely high dose in uh in picard's uh book as well but it sounds like you know uh base just like that was his deal you know that was his jam and i don't how, how high dose was he working was it like um 600 micrograms 600 73 okay. doses of 600 micrograms he says uh, uh near where I, where I am that on reflection i could have uh, probably uh gotten to the same places uh, on on lesser doses but uh this is what he had the path he had set out and uh he gets down to the essence of creation to be it's well beyond being a personal book. It's about our collective soul and oneness. That's the one thing I've got out of uh, LSD was the oneness of all things. And that that's enough. I, you know, if <laughs> I have been saying that uh, we are a single collective organism, act like it quite a book yeah i can't wait to this is a really great time for for psychedelic books out we've got this just came out the new shulgin book just came out um there's a it's a it's a great time to be uh to be reading about this stuff let, let me just circle back before we close here and, and mention that leonard's book the rose of paracelsus uh when i what several years ago when, when he was still in prison in one of my uh conversations with him we were talking about the book and uh, about the reaction people had and all. And he, he kind of chuckled and, and I could tell he was kind of laughing to himself. And he says, you know, he says it's the strangest thing. Some people think it's fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you've read the book, that means a lot to you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's definitely strange enough to be fiction. That's for sure. <laughs> fiction. You can't make a lot of that shit up if you tried, man. Whew. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Well, listen, everybody, I think this has been a very productive night and uh, put it up on the, on the uh, Patreon tomorrow. So uh, I think people get a lot out of this one. So appreciate everybody participating. And uh, till uh, the next time, hey, keep the old faith and let's stay high. <laughs> and for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Namaste, my friends. <laughs>